Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. And he ain't willing to make the trip with us. He's quit. He's not, he, he's not showing himself to be faithful. He, he needs to go hang out with his mama, but we've got to go do this mission. And Paul's like, we, we're not, we're not going to kick him to the curb. I mean, we can't do that. I mean, the dude, he, he's early in his faith journey, and I'm not going to give up on him. And Barnabas is like, i, I got to hang with John Mark. And Paul basically says, you go ahead. I'm taking Silas with me. You follow it? And, 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 it, and at times... Uh, it's good to have a Barnabas in our life that don't give up on us when we're want to run back home or we're not showing up all the way. But it's also good to have a Paul saying, hey, there's a mission in hand and we've, we've got to stay on task. That's what's going on. Uh, they're they're going to be in Philippi. And, and here, here's, what I want you to, here's what I want you to hear. Uh, Paul would later write an entire book to this group of people here in Philippi, and we call it the book of Philippians. And it's like one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's full of joy and encouragement and motivation. Back in 1988, when I had my shoulder surgery, okay, it was my third arm surgery. I was with the Dodgers, and our team doctor was in L.A. So, so, so I'm going in to have the shoulder surgery, and I'm going to be out of it for a while. Two weeks before I go, I pick up the word and I read Chad Philippians every morning because I needed perspective. I needed like, oh God, I, I got to have your voice in what I'm going through. This is a major storm I'm about to go through. This is going to be about an 18 month rehab process to try to get this thing back right. So I, I read Philippians every morning, every night. I go in to have surgery, come out, I'm reading Philippians every morning and every night because it, it's a perspective of joy. And while I was in L.A. about two days post-op, I memorized Philippians 1.12 where Paul goes, hey, I want you to know that my circumstances are going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. And I remember going through that surgery going, I need that. Because whatever is happening right now, God is wanting to leverage this pain, this suffering, uh, this upcoming rehab for his glory. So Philippians is like one of my favorite books. But Paul, his initial like mission, if you will, he's there. And, and this chapter is going to give us some insight on what took place and how the church was birthed. So here's a few questions. I want you to think about these, all of us. Uh, there, there's so much going on in our world today. There's so much tension in our world right now. You look at the political landscape and you go, man, look at all the corruption. It's been that way. It's been that way for generations. If you look at the sexual issues, there's so much confusion on, oh, 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 do what? What do you identify? I, I, I mean, there's terminology and language being thrown out today. I, I don't even know how to make sense of it. The, all I would say is when it comes to the sexual stuff in our country, there's a lot of confusion. People are lost. When it comes to social justice issues, how are we going to respond? So, so here's the thing I would say, whether you're looking at political issues or some of the sexual narrative that's being driven, uh, social justice, whatever it is, I would ask this, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ intersect and influence change in the midst of all this chaos? We've got to ask that question. How does the gospel of Jesus bring about transformation? You've got to ask, as a follower of Jesus Christ, can we really make a difference in this world? 
Am I supposed to keep my faith as something just kind of private and locked up? Or is it supposed to be public? Or are we supposed to be speaking up and standing up for truth? Or just sitting on the sidelines watching the game unfold? Well, what are we supposed to do? How am I supposed to live as a follower of Jesus in 2022? How am I supposed to live this out? And Acts chapter 16 offers us such a cool perspective on how to live out our faith in the midst of chaos and with adversity and with all this kind of uncertainty around us. If I had to title this, I would title it, How to Be a, a Light in a Dark World. We need that today. Come on, somebody. We need some lights today. So the good news, we talk about it, the gospel the word gospel means good news. The good news is God's way to live. Uh, when you study the gospel account, God created us in his image. Man willfully rebelled. God clothed himself in human flesh in the person of Christ. 33 years on the planet, three years of public ministry. He was the life, the truth. He was everything. He died a criminal's death. He poured out his blood to bring about the new covenant. And he promised that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to those of you who will believe. So the gospel, the good news is like, here's how God wants us to do life. And as you look at the gospel, it is a huge contrast with the way most people in our culture tend to live. The, the, the gospel is a contradiction of how most people are living today. Here's a premise, here's a premise. We live in a fallen world, a corrupt world, a sinful world. The world that we're born into is, sin has disrupted it at every level. And I would say that this world is called the kingdom of man. And, and, and it's driven by human power and human influence. It's ruled by greed and control and intimidation and manipulation and fear and violence. Turn on the news. See what's happening. It's fear. It's violence. It's all this intimidation. And the kingdom of man is violently corrupt. And I will tell you this. It uses and abuses Anyone that tries to get in their way of wealth and dominance and power and hedonistic pleasure. Look at the world. Stand in the way of that. Mess up somebody's uh, financial portfolio who's profiting in this way. Watch what happens. But then the Bible, the gospel introduces us to what is called the kingdom of God. So you've got the kingdom of man contrasted with the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is ruled by God's love. It is ruled by his grace, his peace, his salvation for all people that are willing to come to him. So Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And he shows us how a true leader is to live. He tells us to serve the least of these. He, he tells us to go the extra mile. He tells us to turn the cheek. He, he tells us to love our neighbor. He tells us to extend his love to every person we meet. His kingdom is way different. His kingdom brings about hope and deliverance and joy and purpose for life. 
I want to be a part of that kingdom of God and live in the kingdom of God, and I want to be a person that expresses the kingdom of God to the world in which I live. When you pick up Acts chapter 16, you're going to see that Paul and Silas, they're interacting with all these different people. And the majority of the people they're interacting with are all living for the kingdom of man. But it screams when we read it that the gospel can bring about radical transformation no matter who you are, no matter where you're at. If you're willing to repent and receive Christ as Lord, ah, oh, it can radically change who you are. Now, you and I, we encounter people every day. You and I, as we do life, we have intersections with a variety of people. And, and every person we meet is at a different place spiritually. Everybody's at a different place. I call it the A, B, C, D, and E approach. I've been using this for like 20 plus years. Some people I meet are A's, meaning they're apathetic towards spiritual things. They're apathetic toward God. They're apathetic toward talking about church. They're just apathetic. I don't care. I'm like, you got it. Then we meet some B's. And B's, you might be a B today. B's are people that are becoming interested. They're starting to ask some questions. They haven't dove into it yet, but it's like, you know, Noah, if we started this conversation back in March, I would say he's a B. He's becoming interested. He, he's opening his heart up to dialogue about it. Well, we want to see B's move to C's. And a C is a person that confesses Christ. Yes, I'm repenting. I'm going to confess Christ as Lord. But, but in the Bible belt of the South that I call the bondage belt of the South, there, there's a lot of people that have prayed a prayer, but 10 years later, they're still infant C's. They have no spiritual depth. They have no spiritual root system to them. Oh, I confess Christ. And they will acknowledge Christ, but their allegiance is not to Christ. You see, a C should want to become a D, and a D is a person who is developing as a disciple. They're starting to walk in the teachings of Christ, and they're starting to live out their faith 24-7, and then we want to become really E's, right? And an E is a person who can go out and help Michael equip other people. So we meet, intersect, and interact with people every day that are all over the map in regards to their spiritual pulse. That, that, that's what we're going to pick up here in Acts 16. I love this chapter, starting in verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. Ho, ho. The Sabbath day, Paul was normally hanging out in a synagogue. Philippi did not have a synagogue. People would oftentimes gather around the riverbanks for prayer, if you will, and this discussion, the Jewish people uh, discussing about God. So they're meeting at the riverbanks because there's not a synagogue, because every time he goes into a city, he's going into a, city, a synagogue on a Sabbath to reason. We went to the riverside to a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a lady by the name of Lydia. Thyatira is her background. She's a seller of purple. We'll get to that. The Lord, don't miss this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was sharing. After she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Now back to the ABCDE. She's a B. She, she is really interested. She's desiring more. 
She's got her Jewish root system, but she's like, there's got to be more. She appears to be this successful businesswoman, sharp, kind of put together, probably was making pretty good money. The scripture says that she was religious. She's at a prayer meeting, but, but she's not a follower of Christ yet. And it says that Paul engages her in a Jesus-centered, Christ-centered conversation. And while he is speaking, the scriptures, uh, uh, while he's speaking, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. The word pay attention there in the Greek is a very similar word for an alcoholic desiring alcohol. It is the portrait, I'm paying attention. I, I got to have what you're talking about. I can't live without what you're talking about. I desperately desire it. It's like an alcoholic saying, I got to have alcohol. I can't live without it. A druggie. I got to have this fix. She was paying attention. And, and, and there's some people that walk in here on Sundays and you're paying attention. I mean, you've lived like hell. You got struck uh, stuck over here for many years and the Lord opened your heart and you come in here and you're craving more of God You're desperately desiring it You want all of Jesus that you can get man. I'm paying attention. I, I Want to be known as a person what, 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 What's up with that dude? He just pays attention to Jesus he craves Jesus. He wants Jesus. He desperately desires Jesus. He has concluded like an alcoholic, getting up in the morning, I got to have it, can't live without it. Getting ready to go to bed, I got to have it, can't live without it. That's what I want to do with Jesus. Man, I'm hooked on Jesus. I got I to gotta have it. Now, there's some people coming in here that are bees. It's like I'm interested, but I ain't paying attention yet. I'm not desperate yet. I'm not starving yet. If you're a bee, listen to me. Just stop and go, Lord, please open my heart and give me a desperation to pay attention to, to crave truth. Lord, there's bees. Right? Just join me. Father, there's bees in this room right now. If that's you, I pray that you will open their hearts to truth. And that they will desperately desire and crave this relationship with you. That you would bring about change. I pray that for the bees in this room right now. Yes. So he has this interaction with Lydia. Can the gospel make a difference? Can we really speak out and live out our faith no matter where we're at? Yes. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. She had a spirit of witchcraft, and she brought her owners much financial gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us around. She was crying out, these men are servants of the Most High. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. Paul became annoyed. He turned and addressed the spirit inside of her and said, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now, I would say this girl right here was spiritually dark, spiritually disoriented, spiritually in captivity. She, she's chained up. She has no joy. And, and, and she is being used and abused by somebody 
else. Many scholars believe she was probably just in her mid-teens, maybe around 15, 16 years old. But this girl's got a demon inside of her. This girl is locked up. And these slave owners are really prostituting who she is for the sake of what they can get out of her in regards to her fortune-telling. She was taken captive. And, and, and she recognizes Paul and Silas, man, there's something different about these guys. They're representing the Most High God. There is a Most High God. And these guys are proclaiming salvation, something that I don't have. Paul rebukes this demonic spirit. And she's set free. There's some of us in this room that we were in captivity. We were in bondage. And no matter what it was, whether it was pride or fear or worry or alcohol or drugs or porn, the Spirit of God broke the chains inside of you and you've been set free. And you're like, ah, oh, praise the Lord. He's a chain breaker. He, he's come to set the captive free. And they spoke words of life to her. Stop, stop. God can set you free today. If you cry out to Jesus and you're willing to violently repent, God can set you free. You do not have to live in bondage as a captive any longer. Paul has this interaction with Lydia. She goes, yes, I pay attention. I'm starving. I want it. I'm craving it. But this little slave girl, man, she was just annoying us. She's driving me nuts. Stop it. And she gets set free. It's like ah, interactions that we have every day. Verses 19 through 23. When her owners mm, saw that their hope of financial gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them before the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking Paul and Silas. Even the magistrates, they tore the garments off them, and they gave them orders, beat them with rods. What do we just preach in Jesus? We're sharing hope. People are getting set free. Beat them. Can I tell you, proclaiming a message of freedom and hope in Jesus is not popular, and I don't think it ever has been. And they had inflicted many blows upon them when they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So now we get this other interaction, intersection, slave owners. They're spiritually corrupt. They're spiritually cold. They're callous. They're hard. We're going to meet people like that. And when you go back and look at ancient times, it was not uncommon for people to have slaves. It was a common practice during this day. It was everywhere. Humans owning other humans to make money off of them. It happens today. And, and, and when the gospel set this little slave girl free, these slave owners did not rejoice that she was on the road to recovery. All they could see is you and you, Paul and Silas, have just jacked up my financial portfolio. You have disrupted how much money I can make. Which screams, even as we deal with people today, you've got to pay attention. 
but it screams, don't you mess with my money. And, and when people have that mindset, what they're basically saying is, money, finances, and wealth has become my small G God. It's what I worship. And I will tell you this, we live in a world today where so many are still living in darkness, disoriented in their lives as captives because their money has become their God. It's what they worship. And you start to look at, even in our day, the amount of trafficking that is going on, whether it be drug trafficking or human trafficking and, and sex trafficking. There's so much slavery, if you will, and bondage in our day. Exodus Road reports, human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. Hmm. Second only to drug trafficking. Traffickers generate about $150 billion a year. 99 million is generated through sex trafficking. All these porn sites and adolescent porn sites and all of the corruption in our world breaks my heart. Exploiting others and abusing others so that I can make money off of you. Eric Erickson this past week was talking about this young girl, and he laid out the story. Maybe you read it, maybe you heard it. 13 years old, was violated, if you will. Somebody had taken a video. They had uploaded this video. Uh, there was over 400, or should I say, over 4 million views on this porn site. And it was interesting as I was reading this, what the family was having to do to get this taken down that was exploiting their 13-year-old daughter. But when they started suing Visa, who was financing it, they got some people's attention. I started looking at Visa and MasterCard and even how they were working with these groups. And they said, hey, man, after they started cleaning this up, over 80% of all the porn material had to be removed. It's like, no, we don't want no part of that. Corruption is at all levels is what I'm saying. Exodus Road goes on to say, traffickers, they use deception to attract the weak. They use threats or violence, and they convince their prey to continue to work for them and keep quiet. The easiest targets are those living in poverty or those coming out of broken families. They said, take a single mother who struggles even to provide for her children, who is desperate to meet even basic needs. She becomes an easy target for these predators. People who are kicked out of their home people who are abandoned, people who live in isolation, feel alone, who feel unloved, who have been abused in the past, whether it be sexually or physically or mentally or emotionally, they become easy targets to be abused by traffickers. So we think when we oftentimes read things about, man, it's so sad looking back at slavery throughout history, slavery exists today. People are in captivity they're in bondage. They're being abused and misused. And again, when you have to choose between the well-being of a person and the bottom line of how much money you're going to make, people can get exposed in a hurry because it's money-hungry, power-hungry. And what did they do? 
the slave owners were like, man, we're dragging these dudes to the marketplace. We're going to falsely accuse them. And they demanded that they be dealt with Paul and Silas with violence. And all Paul and Silas did was to offer hope and freedom to somebody in chains. As we continue to be a voice for Christ in this dark, disoriented, depraved, disturbed world, I can promise you this. All who desire to live for Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're not going to be applauded. If anything, oftentimes we will be attacked. At about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. They beat them. They've mistreated them. They've thrown them into the inner part of the prison. And what are Paul and Silas doing? At about midnight, they were praying, singing hymns to God. And these other guys that were locked up were listening. And suddenly, bam, earthquake takes place. The foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, stop, do not harm yourself, we're all here. Intersection with Lydia, intersection with slave girl, intersection with slave owners, and now He's intersecting with a jailer. And jailers in this time, if you go back and study, they were highly decorated, if you will, uh, Roman soldiers. These guys had clout. They were high-level, respected dudes. And as a retirement gift, what they would oftentimes do is these applauded, honored soldiers, they would say, man, we're going to put you over here and let you oversee the jail. And as you oversee the jail, man, it's going to be kind of an easy life. You can chill. You, you, you can just move on into retirement with no problem. So it's supposed to be a gravy job. So he throws Paul and Silas into the most disgusting, despicable, smelly, rat-infested, sewage-infested part of the jail. When you study it, these inner parts of the jail here were brutal. Oh, it was awful. And Paul and Silas have been beaten, stripped. Their feet are in chains. L listen, listen, listen. This is the practical takeaway. And despite this brutal situation that they found themselves in, they praised God. They glorified God. They were singing praises to God. God is good. And here's what I would tell you. Your circumstances do not make you. Your circumstances only reveal you. Their allegiance and confidence and faith in Christ we're going to worship God. All hell's breaking loose. This is brutal. We don't read the text where it says, man, these dudes griped all night, complained all night. They, 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 were, they were frustrated with the slave owners, the magistrates, the jailers. All they did, man, was they just griped at how, how bad the world was going to hell in a handbasket, man. Look at them. No. What'd y'all do? God, you're good. God, you're faithful. God, you're dependable. And they're praising God. 
No matter where I'm at, I'm going to praise the Lord, Paul would say. At all times, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And you know when they were praising God, what happened? The other inmates, the scripture says, they were listening to him. Here's what I would tell you. People are watching how you respond to adversity. People are watching how we respond to chaos, mistreatment, abuse, and pain. People people are watching us. I'm a pastor. They're watching me. I'm a small group leader. They're watching me. Oh, I lead worship. They're watching me. Oh, I help lead recovery. They're watching you. They want to see how you handle adversity, how you handle attacks, how you handle pain. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect, but reality is when you go through it, you're going to be exposed. Oh. And we all, man, have some rough times, right? I'm not looking for the line this afternoon that says, uh, get beat with rods, have your lunch handed to you, get thrown in jail because you're up here preaching Jesus. I'm like, but if that's the line I get thrown into, then wear it. It's like, you got to preach Jesus. You can't preach woke. You can't preach joke. You got to preach Jesus. You got to preach Christ and him crucified. You can't compromise Tim. Man, these dudes were in pain. Chad, they were hurting But they were like, man, we're going to praise God in the middle of this storm, no matter what. And they believed the words of Jesus where Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of your faith in me. Because of your faith in me and your allegiance to me. You're, You're blessed when people insult you and persecute you and harass you and dog you. So I I would just say, hey, please, in all things, give thanks, no matter what the circumstances, choose joy. Ah, this has been a tough time. Choose joy. It's been a rough week. Choose joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God was doing a work here in his jailer's life, and God is doing a work here in your life today. The Holy Spirit's been knocking on the door of your heart. And I will tell you this, God will do the impossible and the improbable when he's pursuing the heart of an individual. Hey, I love you, Hazel. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm pursuing you. Ray, I love you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm pursuing you. And you could go around the room, Steve. I'm pursuing you. I love you. Greg, I'm, I'm, I'm for you. I'm pursuing you. God will do the impossible when he's pursuing a man's heart. Even so much that God brought about an earthquake to awaken the hardened heart of a Philippian jailer. It's like, what happened? Bro, it wasn't about the earthquake. I know people have said this is the first time ever in Scripture, a jailhouse rock happened. This, uh-uh. God was getting this man's attention. And, and maybe you walk in here today and over the last weeks and months, whatever is going on, and you know God has been saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to get your attention, and I've been trying to get your attention so that you will pay attention. 
that you would crave and desperately desire me above all. The jailer knew, man, if these dudes with the doors swinging wide open and the chains being broken off of them, he knew that the penalty for this happening was they're going to kill me. This is a death sentence. So instead of allowing the authorities to take his life, he takes his own sword and he goes, suicide is a better option. It, it, at least I'm gone now, and at least it will save my family some embarrassment because they will not remember me as being a negligent dude. That was the sentence for this crime right here. And verses 28 and 29. But rather than escape, Paul and Silas stayed in their cell, and they persuaded the other prisoners to stay with them. Guys, don't y'all go anywhere. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a prisoner, and whether whatever my offense was, and I had been incarcerated, but I'm hanging out in this jacked-up jail place, and I see these two Holy Ghost, Holy Roller dudes praising God in the midst of all this, it's midnight, I'm trying to just get a little bit of shut-eye in, and they're over here just worshiping, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and all of a sudden these two dudes tell me, Y'all better not go anywhere. Based on the power of God that I have just seen manifested, I don't think I'm going anywhere. I ain't going anywhere. Because God's plan was not the physical deliverance of his servants. It was the spiritual deliverance of the jailer. And I think sometimes, Dallas, we get there and we go, you're not going to believe what I'm going through. It's not about you. It, God is wanting you to bring about spiritual deliverance in somebody next to you. And he goes, stop it. Worship me. Give me glory. I get the last word. I'm in control. You know what the jailer does? He drops his sword. And he looks and he goes, guys, what must I? I do to be saved. Guys, I know who to turn to and I, and I know what I need. Y'all, would y'all please help guide me on how I can get saved? Because I'm starting to pay attention. I'm starting to wake up. Praise the Lord no matter what you're going through. That's not natural, I know. It's supernatural. And because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, he goes, Adam, praise me. Give me thanks. Chris, praise me no matter what's going on. Praise me no matter what work does. Praise me no matter what's happening, Trevor. Yeah, it's been some adversity. It's been some pain. You going to praise me? Yes. The jailer goes, man, I need salvation, and I need it now. comes to faith in Christ. Four different people. All with different stories. Lydia, slave girl, slave owners, jailer, all at different places spiritually. And they all needed the same thing. <laughs> I mean, Trey, that's where we're at. It's like, man, what, what, what does this person need? He needs Jesus. He needs to be saved. He needs a rebirth. 
Russell, that's what we need, brother. But I got to get right with Jesus. And over these last 12 years, I can tell you the Cross Loganville is a place where different people, all types of people, come together and find hope and healing. Come on, T. Salvation, purpose, joy, restoration in Jesus' name. Not in a denominational name, not in a pastor's name, not in a worship leader's name, in Jesus. What set you free? Jesus set me free. So whether you're religious or whether you're unchurched or whether you're just like a blown, just full-blown pagan, I remember when I was doing all that chapel ministry years ago, I'm like going around going, hey, what's your spiritual background? Y'all got any in here? Yeah, I grew up Presbyterian. I'm like, all right, it's cool. Go to the next guy. Yeah, my grandmother and them were Baptists. I went there for a little bit. Get to the next guy. Dude, I'm just a heathen, okay? I ain't got nothing. <laughs> like, there you go. You know what I knew about all of us? We all needed the same thing. We needed to be born again. So it doesn't matter what you're coming from, how jacked up you may feel like your narrative is. I can promise you this. The ground at the foot of the cross is level for all of us. There, there's not like a lane over here for the ones who have a half mil in their banking account and a different lane over there for those on food stamps who are broke as a joke. It's level. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me if you're tired and just beat up and heavy laden. Whoever will call, who, who, whoever will call on my name will be saved. I'm a God rich in mercy of love and grace. Just come to me. And I pray that you will come to him today. Because the gospel intersects and transforms every person that will come to Jesus in faith and repentance. If you're lost, you go, i got to have it. I'm desperate. I'm paying attention. But if you're saved, you've got family members and co-workers and people around you that are lost. How will they know unless we take the gospel to them? Just take it to them. I didn't share the gospel with Noah because it's my job. It's my life. It's just my life. It's got to become our lives. Receive him and then go release him to Loganville and beyond.